Just two good old boys. Two good old boys. Never meeting no harm. Be sorry, never saw the hat, no hair since the day they was born. Straighten the curves. Straighten the curves. Flatten the heels. The coffee might get them, but the Lord never will. We're casting away. Everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, a little radio show designed to help you get your mojo working in and out of work each and every day. Welcome aboard. If you are new to the show, good to have you on the big red bus that we call and have known to grow to love called the Mojo Radio Show. Good to have all the gang in the studio, put the band back together again, as they say in the business, and driving the bus, the chief engineer at Robbo, got us in gear, ready to roll. I'll have four fried chickens and a Coke. Little pork pie hat on today, <laughs> very becoming. The Mojo Radio Show. Folks, just to set this up for you, uh, if I sound a little different during the interview with Brian, our guest coming up, who I'll introduce shortly, it's because I was sitting in the middle of a paddock in my ute <laughs> at a place called Esk, which is about a couple of hours outside of Brisbane. And I was doing a keynote speech in a bull sale yard shed, which was awesome. <laughs> uh, hello to all the boys from A2K Technologies. It was just the best gig. I was freezing, but it was great. And uh, I finished my gig, jumped at a ute, and the boss said, mate, head up, head up there, head up to the top of the hill. I've put a booster up there. You'll be right. Good to go. <laughs> the things we do, the things we do. If you're up, if you're on our Facebook page, go have a look because there's a photo there of Gaz's rig on top of the car at the top of the hill. It's a great photo. It's ridiculous though because you're in the studio. <laughs> I'm the back of a ute in the middle of nowhere and Brian, our guest, is in San Diego and yep. yet it was pretty clear. It wasn't like it actually wasn't a bad signal. Yeah. Well, you know, when you've got someone like Voodoo Sound working for you, that's what can happen. <laughs> This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. This is a Mojo Radio Show, or I'll be coming to see you. We got an email from a listener, and thank you much to our the team who sent us a note saying, look, I'm reading Brian's book. It's called Do A Day. I like it. I'd love to hear him on your show. So I wrote to Brian, uh, and he's here. Now, just to introduce Brian, he's a TEDx speaker, best-selling author. Uh, he does keynotes all over the place. But what's really curious about Brian, and we will dig into this during the show, is that he's also a C-level executive during the day. So he's got a day job. So he's got this day job and he's got this so-called side hustle, which has become a something. 
And he loved the fact he's an executive and he also loves the fact that he can, I guess, achieve a purpose or a mission away from the office. So this is a very interesting show because most people think it's one or the other, but this guy is loving both. His book, Do A Day, is about overcoming all the challenges that we face each day and how we achieve our goals. Brian, as you'll hear during the interview, spent a good period of his life obese and trying to overcome anxiety until he discovered the approach that changed his world and now is doing a lot of good for a lot of people, uh, which he wrote about in a book called Do A Day. And as Brian likes to say, people don't change, lives do. So with all that, mate, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're an interesting guy because you have become well known for your book and your work, yet your work is not your work. When asked my work you is not what my you work. do. That's really well said. Yeah, well, it's kind of, you're, you're an interesting guy because typically we have a guest who's got a lane, but your lane you're well known for actually is not your work, so to speak. So how do you describe what you, how do you like to reply when somebody asks you what you do? So it depends on the context that they're asking me. So I, I still have a day job um, and I'm, I've become well known in that context, but it's, you know, it, it, it's insurance. So like normal people wouldn't know me well in that space, nor should they, because who wants to know about insurance, <laughs> but in insurance, I'm pretty well known. Um, but outside of that, and, and when people ask me, you know, unless they're, they're coming from the insurance industry, I, I'm going to respond with something tied to the reason why I'm on your show. And that's around my book and the work that I'm trying to do to help people overcome uh, you know, the, the greatest challenges that we all face. And that is, uh, that's a place that I come from, from a very personal experience throughout my life, starting with obesity, facing a lot of anxiety and depression. And then, um, I'd like to say choosing to overcome that, but I didn't really choose it. It was forced upon me. And I think for where I was at and where I was willing to be from a introspection and self-love standpoint, I needed something to force me to get through it. And that was nearly losing my wife. Um, was it now? It's 2018. So seven years ago, uh, it'll be seven years this summer that she was on what we believe to be her deathbed and our two-year-old son was watching and uh, she's still here today and I'm a completely different person. So in a sense, I'm not here in the, you know, the, the person I was then is not here anymore. And that's really important. And so we're on from there. I kind of want to start there. So you were in the insurance company, and this is June 30, 2011, you've kind of outlined the situation and you're an insurance guy, you're living the life of a insurance guy, as in the corporate world, letting yourself go in terms of probably health, wellness and standards. And then there was a moment which you describe as a turning point. How did that feel Brian, I just want you to talk about how did it feel in that moment? Why and why was that moment more profound than other moments where you actually did something about it? Yeah. Well, you know, having been pretty seriously overweight and and apologies for not knowing the conversion to kilos and stones and all that, but I was about 100 pounds overweight through most of my childhood. So 50 kilos. All right. Yeah. So about about 50 kilo. I don't know, eight stone, 12 stone, 300, whatever stones a lot. So, um, 
either way, I was, I was, I was obese. Like, you know, there's, there's no chubby yeah. about it, straight up obese. Um, and that came from a lot of anxiety I had from a very early age and it's the anxiety that's the heart of the story. So I was someone who was extremely concerned about everything falling apart and, um, that served me well in some contexts, but certainly in the family context, it did not serve me well. While it made me a really good provider, it made me a really bad husband and father in the sense that I was kind of, um, I was describing like my wife and son were the family and I was the guy who worked there. You know, it was like, get out of my way. There's stuff to do. You're just adding to the list of stuff and you're not getting things done. I'll just take care of it. And that, that really defined who I was. So like I was kind of grumpy and I just got everything done. And then my wife gets really sick and, uh, I put on about half my weight again after losing a hundred pounds. And, you know, a, a good husband would have set aside his own issues and just been there emotionally for his wife. I was there physically and doing things, but emotionally it was like, wow, all these things are going wrong and it's, it's adding to my plate. It's smacking me in the face. Um, and that's not what she needed. Uh, so it took, it took this call from her doctor basically saying, you know, like we give up, I'm going on vacation and I'll call you when I'm back. And he's going on a six week vacation. She's losing two pounds a day. She's barely a hundred pounds and couldn't get out of bed anymore. And so I, it hit me as like, she's not going to be here when you get back. Um, and that, that brought some clarity for me as I walked back into our bedroom and saw my son looking at his mother dying in front of his eyes. And when he turned and looked at me, that was that moment, June 30th, that it just became so clear that how much I was failing the two of them as a husband, as a father, and, you know, especially for that little boy, like what, what I feel for him and what he deserves in life. And that if I'm the only parent he has, he has no shot at getting any of those things he deserves with me as his parent. Um, and that was enough to sort of crack the whip right next to my ear and make me wake up and say, what are you doing? And I, I've had, I've had these like really profound moments before, but I never did anything with them. And I think the, the role of father, uh, is so important to me and his life is so important to me and wanting him to have better. And I don't just mean like, you know, more things or a cushier, I mean, happiness that I didn't have and not having to be weighted down by this anxiety that I, I knew I had. And God, if, you know, whatever drove me to feel that way, losing your mother at age two, no question, that's about as definitional as it's going to get for a little kid. Um, that was enough to, to wake me up and, and say, I want better. And now I'm going to grab hold of this feeling and actually use it to do better. And that started a really strong action-oriented approach the next morning. So it's July 1st. Everything's been different since then. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I'm not going to say I haven't had tough moments and I haven't had moments where the anxiety has been full force or I haven't made negative progress and whatever my goals are. But on the whole, I have moved forward and I'm a better person for having woken up. You almost had to change your identity, didn't you? I mean, it's all well and good to be, let's say, the fat guy and you make this decision. But if you kept doing fat guy stuff, chances are not enough would have changed. But essentially, am I hearing it right that you you had to decide to create a new a new Brian or a new identity? Is that kind of the process you went through, mate? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Like I, I definitely define myself as the fat kid growing up. Even after I lost weight, I still saw myself that way. And 
the way that I felt at that point in my life relative to my weight was I didn't see myself as the fat guy. And I look at pictures now and I'm like, how did I not realize how overweight I was again? Um, but I, I saw myself as uh, trying not to be fat. And that's like, that's kind of a, a lame way to define yourself, right? Like who wants to define their life as like, oh, I'm trying not to be fat in life. That's my life purpose. Um, so it's pretty miserable. And what I realized is emotionally, I was carrying a lot of baggage that I just would not face. And that's what I needed to change is I could no longer be defined by this role of the anxiety ridden fixer. You know, I wore, I wore it as a badge of honor. Like it's as much as you might not like the way I'm behaving, I'm protecting everyone. I'm getting everything done. I'm writing the ship when it goes wrong. It made me really successful in my career because you could parachute me into any business problem and I'd fix it and, and, you know, run, run the unit and things would go better. So I was financially rewarded for being this way. The problem is I was paying a huge price personally. You know, I was unhappy physically, um, certainly unhappy emotionally, and I wasn't serving those around me, and including myself. Like, why do I, why do I need to have this life that's so anxiety-ridden? Why do I need to feel like everything's going wrong and I'm the only one who can fix it? Because it's not actually a happy way to be. So I, I realized I needed to change that outlook and you don't just snap your fingers and change. You have to do work. And that's, that's the bit that I latched onto is it is about the work. It is about the journey. It doesn't matter whether I've done it before and failed or succeeded. And it doesn't matter how many more times and for how many more days I'm going to continue to have to do it. And that's, that's one of the lessons I took from losing a hundred pounds is for years, I never started and I just kept gaining more because it was such a daunting task and I would think about it in its entirety. And what I realized the next morning on that July 1st wake up was I don't have to lose the proverbial 100 pounds all at once. You know, I had about 50 pounds to lose this time. I didn't have to cure my anxiety and deal with all the baggage. I didn't have to help my wife save her life all at once. You know, I didn't have to, I, I wasn't happy at work. I didn't have to find a new job in this second. It's like, I can take steps today that will move me forward in that goal. And I don't need to think about how many more steps to the summit I still need to take or whether I screwed up yesterday. And that, that was a huge shift for me because I was just constantly weighted down by all this yesterday and tomorrow kind of baggage. It's interesting, you know, Brian, I spoke to a guy not long ago and he was probably in the situation you were in the insurance company as the, the, the fat guy who justified everything by saying, well, I'm providing. And that was the justification to keep doing what they do. I'm the provider. And I challenged him and said, mate, have you looked at the mirror? Are you looking at the, 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 the mirror image acting to your kids? Do you think your wife really finds you sexy? You're a fat guy. And what was really interesting, Brian, I'll be, int in, I'll be keen to hear your perspective, is he said, thank you for your honesty because I've had mates I've known all my life and no one said anything to me. They just let it happen. Were people around you looking to help you or to make comments or was it everyone just accepted it and didn't notice a change until suddenly you noticed it? So what's interesting is um, I, I always say like the second time around when I was you know 50 pounds overweight, no one really noticed. And maybe that's a function of, of the surroundings I'm in. Like I always say, I looked, I, I was clearly obese as a kid. Like you'd look at me and be like, wow, that kid's really fat. Um, lots of people would say that and point and laugh or comment about how much I was eating. You know, my parents were worried, all that. But as an adult in my late twenties or, or actually early thirties, um, 
and, and being at the weight I was, no one noticed. I just looked like everyone else in America. So like my wife and I will see pictures and we're both like, I don't like neither of us realized how back then. So she, you know, it's not like people are like, you got to control your weight. And actually, if anything, some people will comment that I'm too thin now. And it's just because I look so different from what they're used to. But actually, weight-wise, health-wise, I'm right where I should be. But it's just different from the image. You know, it's like you see some celebrities who, I'm thinking like Drew Carey or, or some others who used to be heavy, and they lose weight and they always just look gaunt. And it's not actually that they are. Yeah, it's just, yeah. John, it's John Goodman, classic example, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great example. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, no one was really calling me out for my weight, but they definitely were either saying something to me about the way I was. And my wife was, was really the one front and center with that. Um, and the poor thing, it was like, you know, asking to be shot. <laughs> She'd comment on it and I just didn't want to hear it. And I had every excuse in the book of why it was justifiable and why I don't have time to go talk to someone or deal with it. But I think for everyone else, you know, thinking about my family, um, if friends were aware of it, they were probably either too afraid to say something for fear of how I would blow them off or respond and not wanting to get into it. Or, um, you know, they, they just didn't, you know, maybe they just didn't see enough of it. And so they saw the productive side of it. So they're like, oh, you know, look at how successful he's been. And they don't know enough of the behind the scenes pain that's leading to that. So, yeah, I, I think the only person who was truly honest with me about it was my wife. And I mean, for anyone who's listening, who's married, like that's the one person who usually can't say anything. But if someone else tells you the same thing, they're suddenly brilliant and inspired. You know, it's like <laughs> you, you give your spouse that advice for years and they're like, oh, you don't understand. And then all of a sudden, you know, like you go see a therapist or your best friends like, hey, you know, you need to do this. And you're like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank you for that honesty. And, and your spouse is sitting there scratching their head like I've been saying this for years. So, you know, maybe that's the, the, the spouse's dilemma is you can't actually tell the truth because you're going to be vilified for it, but someone else comes along and suddenly they're genius. So you're, you've written this book and you're now helping people, as let's call it like a, like a side hustle type thing, and you're coaching people. How do, you, how do you help people? So you've said that one of the challenges you see is that a lot of the people that you are coaching – who are, are insistent that they're not able to break the cycle, that they have to keep doing what they're doing, have to keep at it, keep getting after it. How do you, how do you help them break the cycle, Brian? Yeah, so a lot of it really does stem from being willing to be honest and introspective. And I think that's actually why most of us are in the mindless kind of automaton, I call it being an employee of your life. You, know, you just go through the motions, but you don't face what's really going on under the surface. And some people have a wake up moment and that's great. And some people have a desire to wake up and, and I'll work with you either way, but we have to start with unpacking what you actually care about, like finding your real motivation. It was thrust upon me, but that doesn't mean that if you haven't had one of these wake up moments, you know, sort of gun in your face type moments that you can't find it. You just have to be willing to dig in and explore and talk through it. So a lot of what I do is I do a lot of unpacking and questioning and and I'll get people to talk about their values and their motivations and what matters in their life. And the joke I have is like, I'm just really annoying because I don't accept any of their answers. I just keep asking why. Because I'm what I'm trying to do is get deeper and deeper because invariably there's something 
way under the surface that they're not probably consciously aware of that we have to bring out. And that can mean some of those coaching calls are really difficult and it can mean that some people are brought to tears, but they're always better for it. And once you bring that stuff to the surface, then you can latch onto it. And then you can understand, you know, this is what truly matters to me. Now, what do I do with my life, given that I know what I actually care about? And I know that in the toughest moments, if I turn to this thing, it will carry me through. Because that's how it's been for me, is I go right back to my role as a father, my role as a husband, and the value I place on my own life and how I actually want to live it. That's what gets me through, you know, when I was training for a marathon, those, those really tough, long runs where physically your, your body's just done. How do you get your mind to keep producing? in really tough work situations and tough family situations and whatever it is that you're facing, to be able to turn back to what matters most to you, that just lifts you out of the pain of what you're dealing with. And especially when you've sort of boxed off the yesterday and the tomorrow of it, you know, whether you've been a failure in the past, it, well, we're not in the past. So it doesn't matter if you had a bad day yesterday or not. It doesn't matter if you misstepped, you can still do better today just because you didn't yesterday. And, and you don't have all that pressure and that anxiety around all the tomorrows to come, which is really daunting. And especially the kind of goals I tend to talk to people about. It's not like, you know, something you do once and then you're done. It's about moving your life forward and carrying that with you for the rest of your days. The do-a-day philosophy that you have written and you talk about, is that in your mind, is that a way that it can sort of free us from this judgment and this voice of justification that moves this forward or not is that is that kind of that is it is the fallback to help us not focus as much on the future of the past but to be now is that how that all came about yeah that's exactly right and you know i said i do i do two things with people that i coach and one is that whole motivation piece which is a a real core foundation of do a day but beneath that is the solid ground of of self-love so we spend you know forget what other people are telling you about yourself It's what you're telling you about yourself that actually matters most. And most of us have a pretty negative self-talk narrative going on inside. So we tell ourselves we're not good enough, that we're not good at things. Um, You know, we fail a lot. We notice our failures. We don't tend to celebrate our wins. Society is very um, self-deprecating and rewards humility. And we point out egotists and we talk poorly about them. So people sort of overcompensate by not accepting compliments and not recognizing their wins. And it's, you know, for anyone who's disagreeing with me, think about the last time you went to someone's house for dinner and compliment them on the food. And, you know, immediately they might say thank you, but they'll quickly follow it up with something that they did wrong in the preparation. Oh, I overcooked this or I underseasoned that. You know, it's like we can't just let something good about us be. So I work a lot with that so people can have this solid ground to build the success in their life. And then do a day itself is about, you know, I've talked about the yesterday and the tomorrow. It's, it's today. It's never yesterday and it's never tomorrow. It's always only today. So it's being free of the judgment and the fear and the anxiety of all the pain from the past, all the, the things you may think you have to do and whether you're going to do them well enough or not in the future. And when you have this sort of self-loving view, you allow for yourself to have the, the capability to even achieve what you really want to achieve instead of the sense that you could never do it. So it's it's really about possibility and the freedom from judgment of yesterday or future judgment of all that lies ahead. It's a very freeing way to be like, it sounds simple. 
And the way I teach it in the book or with people that I coach or, or when I do speaking engagements, I really do just talk through examples mostly. You know, I, I give the, the foundational building blocks, but I find that talking through real situations, people start to get it. And they realize like, yeah, it sounds really simple, but when you hear how you can actually live through it, I find that people sort of wake up and they get excited by it. And then, and that's why in response to the book, I get a lot of outreach from people who have now taken into aspects of their life and they're, they're doing better. They're doing differently and they're achieving new things that one of the things I always say is like the things that you will achieve are not even on your list to cross off as impossible right now. You haven't even dreamt of them yet. And that's pretty exciting. To do a day, I guess, is a philosophy, Brian. I suspect that when people set down these dreams for themselves, they think about the whole journey. But when you coach them and break it down to say, could, could you do a single day? Yeah. That must be liberating for people to go, well, I could do a single day. It doesn't matter how much more you have to do. And that's so I'm, I'm vegan. That's not something I ever thought would happen. And the few times I had contemplated it, I talked myself out of it because of all these other, you know, three months from now, if I'm on a business trip, how am I supposed to find something to eat? Or, you know, what about my son's birthday party? If he wants me to have a piece of cake with him, I can't do that. It's like, it hit me one night where I was reading a book by a vegan and kind of inspired by it. And he's sort of calling you out in the chapter I was on about like, why haven't you tried it? And so I just said like, I don't have anyone's birthday tomorrow. I'm not traveling. I can do a day. I, I said it out loud and that's when the book and the whole idea, I'd, I've been coaching people, but I didn't really have a name for it yet. That's when it got its name is I, I was just like, I literally can do a day. And I did a day and it was way easier than I ever thought it was because I had suddenly let go of all this like, oh my God, I'll never eat that thing again. And what am I going to do in this situation? It's like, none of that's happening. I'm not never eating that thing for the rest of my life again today. <laughs> I'm just not eating it today. You know what I mean? But we do that. Yeah. And you know, it's people who are like, I'm going to go to the gym every day and I'm going to be healthy. It's like, okay, I don't care how old you are. Every day for the rest of your life is a long time. So add it up, it's like, oh my God, that's so many hours. And how am I supposed to go to the gym for the rest of my life? You're not going to the gym for the rest of your life today. Just get your stuff and go today. You know, to be a better husband today. And you're, you're, not, a, you're not a vegan 365, are you? I mean, there are days. So there's, there's a balance to this. So some people use it as an excuse. And it's not like, I'm never going to do it, but every day I'm like, oh, it's okay, because do a day, I'll be fine tomorrow. You know, like I'll wake up and then I can do it tomorrow. So you don't just write off everything <laughs> that you do that isn't aligned with it. It's important to call out, right? You, I, I do make decisions from time to time to break from that. And, you know, my, my son's birthday is one example. We went to Disney World and surprisingly, it was actually really easy to be vegan there. I didn't, I had no anticipation of it. I thought maybe I'd be vegetarian. They're super accommodating. But one day I decided like, you know what, today I'm, I'm just going to eat whatever he wants to be going out and eat it. You know, I'm not going to work at it. And like we had, we went to a, a breakfast where they had like Mickey shaped pancakes. And so I had that and it's not vegan. And what I didn't do is say, Oh my God, what have I done? And I've just thrown everything away in the past. At that point, it'd been two years of vegan. I was like, you know, I didn't just flush it down the toilet. It was like, okay, I made a decision right now. Here are the reasons why I made it, which are actually good reasons. And now that I've finished that meal, my next meal can still be vegan. I can go right back on it. And I find that a lot with food choices, you know, people who are on a diet and they've done really well and they go out to some, you know, party or they go, they go celebrate something at work or, or 
people at work just go to a bar afterward and they have a beer and like a buffalo wing and then they're like, oh my God, my diet. And they run home crying and they eat like a pizza and, and two bottles of Coke and a cheesecake because they've ruined everything, right? It's over. Just give up. It's like, well, actually, it was perfectly fine until you did what you did at home. But even still, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. You get right back on where you were and tomorrow you wake up free of what just happened last night. No more judgment. Make a better choice in that day for the goals you're trying to achieve. So I'm vegan 100% of the time. I'm 100% vegan like 99% of the time. Another good example of that is smokers, right? People who are trying to quit. You, you see so many of them, they'll, they'll go for, you know, four, five, six months or, you know, a few weeks even. And then they'll, they'll fall into that, that one night where they go out and they have a drink and they pick up a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, and well. now it's all over. Yeah, now it's all over. Three it's like, oh, well, I've had one tomorrow. now. I'll go back to my three-pack-a-day <laughs> habit. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I mean, addiction's a really tough thing. But I think that mindset is a big piece of it. And maybe they're just looking for an excuse to go right back to it. But that one cigarette or the two cigarettes, that doesn't mean that you've now undone the six months of progress that you made and that you have to go back. So the the vegan whose book I was reading is a guy named Rich Roll, who's incredibly inspiring. He's a vegan ultra endurance athlete. He used to be an alcoholic who was overweight and he was an entertainment attorney. Um, nearly collapsed trying to walk up the stairs on the eve of his 40th birthday. And this is a guy who, you know, is an alcoholic and he's very open about this now, but he had a breakdown moment where he actually fell off the wagon, he had a really bad performance in something called Ultraman. It's a, a double Ironman over two days. And, uh, and it, he, he crashed, he, he was sick, like he couldn't finish. And so he got really depressed. He went off alone to the hotel bar and had a beer, I think, I think one beer. Um, you know, he could have chosen to just say like, well, forget everything I've just done with my life for the past few years and the sobriety that I've fought really hard to find because I just had a beer and I'm a drinker again. And, you know, it, it wasn't as simple as just like, okay, I'm good. You know, he, he reached back out to AA, he went back through the process, but he chose to get right back on the path and not throw it away just because he had stepped in the wrong direction once. And that is ultimately a choice. It doesn't mean it's an easy choice, but it's still a choice. And that's really empowering. It's probably important also that I guess we've sort of channeled our conversation around health and wellness so far. And yeah. this can also be applied to a relationship, a business deal, missing a meeting, a bad phone call, you know, yeah. playing badly in a, in a game of footy. So I think the important thing is it's not just related to food and diet, but the application of this, as I would understand it, would be really across everything to concentrate on more than now uh, rather than be thinking the bigger picture and going, well, I played a really bad footy, I'm never going to play well again. It must it must be a nice centering thing to bring it back as a coach, to bring it back to this moment, is it, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the thing that it applies to is is life. And it's up to you how broadly or how discreetly you want to apply that. So the in the book, I, I, I go through each chapter, I call them days, but each day is a different context, different like contextual point in my life. And I do that not to tell my story. It's not about, you know, like, look at me and all the things I've done. It's here are different places, completely different situations where I've used do a day to overcome and achieve. And 
I'm working on a, a podcast that's coming out later this year that shares the stories of others because they have experiences that no matter how broad mine may be, they've never, you know, they've, they've had things that I will never have. And the point is to share with people, it really does apply extremely broadly. It's, it's up to you how you want to do it and whether you want to do it. But, you know, I give examples from my professional career, highs and lows. I talk about some really bad mistakes I've made and how it's actually not the mistake that would have ended my career. It's how I handled it. It's how I chose not to do a day because I was so worried about all the fallout and it turned me into a pretty um, unprofessional and unhappy person to work with. And it's so funny, in my next, my next annual review, they didn't even mention this huge screw up that I had that I thought I was going to get fired at any second. They didn't mention that at all. All they mentioned is why I had suddenly turned into a complete jackass at work and no one wanted to work with me. I mean, I'm slightly exaggerating, but I was... I was like constantly, because I thought everyone was trying to fire me. So I was like, you know, suspicious and reactive. And they were like, we don't know what happened. You just suddenly became a jerk. And it's like, you don't know what happened. I was so certain, like the whole thing was going to be about this mistake. And like, not only did they not mention it, they almost seemed ignorant to the fact that it even happened. So it's like, we, we choose in so many different contexts to focus in the wrong place and to beat ourselves up and see the terminality of everything instead of the possibility. You've obviously, the book's had an impact. You are hearing from people who you've impacted with the book or your TEDx speech or the podcast interviews you've done. What's been the most profound thing you've learned since finishing the book? Because it just seems that we, we pour a lot into a book and then it's the repercussions of what comes after that the stuff that we hadn't thought of. What's been a profound learning since you finished? Going through the process of writing it and thinking about what will happen when it comes out, you go through a lot of highs and lows. You know, the expectations of how many copies it'll sell or not and what does success look like. And I, what I try to do is keep myself centered on why I was writing it. So I talk a lot about the purpose of everything is your, your ultimate why. It's that inner motivation. I wasn't writing it to sell millions of copies and retire. That'd be lovely if that happened, but not because of the financial implication, rather because that means millions of people got the message, we're valuing it, and hopefully we're turning their lives to a better direction. That's why I was writing it, is even if, I mean, actually, if it didn't sell a single copy, that would have still been a positive for me because I got so much out of writing it. And I know my coaching work, my speaking work got better as a result because it really helped me fine tune my message and understand it at a deeper level. And I grew through the process of writing it. But what I wanted was for it to sell something. So I knew it was getting out there and people were being impacted. People I didn't already have a connection to wasn't working with yet. And that's what happened. So it kept me focused on what I really care about. And, you know, pretty much every day I've heard from someone who's been touched by the book or the message. I mean, the reason why I'm on your show is, Someone who read my book, I'm guessing in Australia, I still don't know who it was, or reached out to you and said, you know, have this guy on the show, or it'd be good if you did. That That's exactly the point. And so it's to have that daily reminder and to hear, I, sh I love seeing people have that flash and that desire to change and to be better. And to know that I'm helping them empower themselves to do that, that's really rewarding. Um, you know, you said it's a side hustle. It is, but... I, it's a lot of the side, like it takes up a lot of my life. So 
I say I have two. <laughs> it's a big side. Two fifty. <laughs> yeah, it's a big side. Um, I think that's one of the things that has been really tough for me is I want I want every opportunity to get the message out there. I tend to say yes to any request I get, and I'm at the point where I probably can't keep doing that. So I'm I'm working on my second book. But I've been at the same place in that book for about five months and it's not, or four months, it's not writer's block. It's, I don't have the time or the energy because I'm still putting so much into do a day and that's fine. But maybe I need to be a bit more balanced and find some space for continuing to push myself ahead because I got so much out of creating this. I want to keep creating. Something that comes to mind when you say that, Brian, is you've obviously got a very strong purpose and desire to be of service and share your message through do a day has finding that purpose on your let's call it the large hustle is finding your purpose there has that made you better in your work in the insurance industry yeah i i think there's really no question of that um i'm in a leadership position i have definitely grown as a leader through this um, I've, I've found more ability to help people get introspective and ultimately I, you know, there's a technical aspect to my job, but that's not relevant. I'm, I'm not in at the level where it's about the technical so much anymore. I hope my boss isn't listening to this and like, what do you mean? What do you, don't you care about the technical stuff? <laughs> oh, he, look, he, he's yeah. a big, he, he's, a, he's onto us all. He's a big listener of the show. Uh, he's actually yeah, one of our platinum members, actually. Right? He actually emailed us all the <laughs> office gossip. We've just been kind to you and kept it to ourselves. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, it's funny stuff. You guys should share it. Um, <laughs> yeah. That yeah, so, nude you know, run around the office. I don't know about that, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure about that either. I think that um, it's definitely, it's gotten me more attuned to the people side of it and the leadership side mm-hmm. and, and how to take, I, I think, you know, before all of this, not just the book, but I I had the ideas before the book came out, but it certainly brought more focus to it. I would see people who weren't behaving the way that they should at work, weren't performing the way that they should. And it's very easy to judge them and be like, well, that, you know, that's a bad employee or they'll never get better. And I don't look at things that way anymore. Now, some people do actually lack some of the intrinsics or maybe they, they really do lack the capacity to understand the technical bits that they may need in their role. But I definitely see a more possibility in people and, and how to help pull that out and be more of the hurt that we all have. So if I've learned anything through this whole process is I don't care how great your outward image is or how good you look to people and, you know, in whatever definition of looking good we have, whether it's physical or financial or, or success or whatever, the grass is not green anywhere. It's brown all over unless you want to garden. And that's a choice. So to see people who we presume are a certain way or we presume have issues and can't be helped, you don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they're going through and you don't know if they know what they've gone through and are going through. So I, I, I just, I have much more of an understanding for who people are and who they may be inside that they're not yet in touch with. And I just, I want to help with that. I think that makes me a better leader. What's your default in a voice now, Brian? If I think about what was your default voice before June 30, 2011, because we have this default we go back to the primary the primary voice in our head the soundtrack what was it like back then and when you consider your primary soundtrack now how are they different 
Yeah. So there's there's an emotional tone to it. The first one was anger, and the second one is compassion. So I was generally angry at everyone else for what they were doing to me or what they were causing to happen to me. And that included me, you know, whether it was like, how could you screw this up? Cause now look at everything that's on my plate or how could I screw this up? Cause look at what I did to myself. So it was, it was a lot of anger and judgment and, and I reacted from that and I'm sure I wasn't hiding it. <laughs> you know, I'm sure people caught it. And now I certainly have moments where that happens but generally, I'm much more attuned to either self-compassion or compassion for others that are at least really simply just recognizing, um, I was quoting the Carly Simon song, You're So Vain. You probably think the song is about you. Like, people think that everyone is acting solely to get them. You know, so I use this example of getting cut off on the highway. And I'm hesitant because I don't want people to think like if you spot Brian, cut him off because he won't care. But <laughs> this guy was working so hard to get in front of me in traffic. And I think the old me probably would have flipped him, you know, the middle finger and honked my horn and then tried to cut him off, even if it meant like risking having an accident just to show him like you're not getting in front of me. Instead, it was like, okay, look, everyone is trying to get somewhere he probably just wants to get home sooner or he hit a plumber's van. Like maybe he's just trying to get to his next job. Maybe someone's toilet is overflowing and they've got, you know, human waste coming. Like, I don't know. He really wants to get where he's going. And for whatever reason, he's decided that getting one car further up is that important to him. Yeah. I don't care. Like that doesn't need to bother me. So he cut in front of me. It wasn't the safest thing in the world. It put me one car back and I smiled. And I, gen I wasn't smiling like sarcastically. I genuinely was like, you know what? That guy's happier now. And, and if he was driving dangerously to get into that position, he's not now because he's content with where he got to. So he's making other people safer. I don't care. And it turns out I got off at the next exit and he was sitting there not moving. So, you know, like karma, it all works out. <laughs> gotcha. That's a very, gotcha. That's a very different, <laughs> I didn't see that coming, but that's a very different <laughs> response than I would have had before. And I think that's, that's a good, um, that's a good illustration of where I'm at right now. Is your routine in the morning to take time to consider do a day? Like, does it figure in the planning of your day, is it important to bring it to your conscious mind early in the day when you're starting out? Or is it something that in your mind sits in the unconscious mind, which you bring to bear is required? I definitely keep it front and center um, because I think you have to. So I wake up, you know, one of the reasons why this is such a full side hustle and my day job's really full Um it's not one of the reasons why, but as a, as a result, I'm very tired a lot of the time. I don't sleep nearly enough and I'm pretty burnt out by the time I do get to sleep. So I wake up feeling pretty tired. And if I let it stay subconscious and didn't make do a day and where I'm trying to go with my life, a conscious decision, I would just go back to sleep because there's nothing empowering about waking up at 4 a.m. when you feel hungover. And I don't drink, so it's not alcohol. It's just from not sleeping enough. So the first thing I do is I have, even if it's only a couple of minutes, I have some time to meditate. And what I'm doing in that moment is thinking about what is today about? What is it I'm trying to achieve? What are the actions I'm going to take generally? And specifically, as soon as I'm done with this meditation, where am I going to go? And what am I going to do to start me on that path? 
And when I open my eyes, I don't pause. I don't think twice. I don't pull the covers back over my head. I get up and I go to that place and I do that thing I just said I was going to do. And I trigger the beginning of this series of choices that are aligned to what I want to achieve in that day. And I keep that front and center. And it, even today, my assistant actually told me, she's reminded me do a day because I got down on myself about, I totally messed up somebody's name and I know who she is and I know her name and I blew it and I was so utterly embarrassed and I felt bad because I felt like I marginalized her. She doesn't seem to care, but I care. And so my assistant was just like, do a day. <laughs> Don't let it keep bothering you. And she's right. Um, so, it, you know, you have to keep it front and center because it's very easy to slip back into the old wiring of, you know, I can't believe you did that. And what happens next time you see her and she's going to look at you and be like, oh, that's that guy who doesn't know my name. Or, you know, like he doesn't care. It's like, or she may not think anything. So like, why am I getting all worked up about it? And if she is going to think something, I can't control that. I can just do better next time I see her. Was Hillary Clinton really insulted when you forgot her name? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I forgot the Rodham part. You know, she, she wants that full three name kind of thing. Um, I'm going to do a Tony Robbins on you because uh, uh, I know I said I was going to let you go. You, you had, it's interesting hearing you talk, Brian, in interviews you've done and here in the show, you talk, talked about being the fat, the fat kid. Then I heard you mention in an interview that you then, it was an awakening where you started going, well, I'm not the fat kid anymore. Now I'm the athlete because now I'm training, I'm doing my long runs, I'm doing my track sessions. Now, I'm, now I've just crossed the line of marathon. So now I'm an athlete. Today, what's your identity? As you sit here today talking with our fat kid, you maybe you still are the athlete, but I'm just curious to how would you define or do you define your identity today? Wow. That's a, that's a hard question because I feel compelled to give one answer or, you know, like a, a one identity answer. And, and that's probably the heart of it is I can't, I, I do definitely see myself as an athlete. I see myself as someone who's very fit, regardless of what I look like, you know, I was, I was overweight for a long time. So my skin is not taut. I have a six pack, but you can't really tell. Um, and I don't drink. So this, this is my joke is like, I don't drink. So the six pack's not going anywhere, but, um, yeah, I, <laughs> It's not a good joke. <laughs> it's a, it's a, or, yeah. Anyway, we, were, we were there. We Don't worry. We were there. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about, I'm, I'm going to get this in the studio after you leave because Robert's going to go, see my, see my six pack. It's under this. I'm an, I'm an athlete. <laughs> oh, yeah. Under the camera. just gave me. My six pack's keeping warm. I, I definitely see myself as an athlete and that is an empowering way to see myself. Yeah. It's really interesting. I talked to uh, another guy on his podcast recently and, and he was talking about not weighing yourself and that can create, you know, this like uh, paranoia around your weight. And actually I totally agree with him yet. I weigh myself every day and have since July 1st, 2011, as long as I had a scale that I could access, I weighed myself. And what's really interesting is I did have a really unhealthy relationship with the scale. I stopped weighing myself when I was obese, when I got to 248 pounds, cause I couldn't handle it anymore. And I kept gaining weight, but I didn't want to know. Um, you know, I probably got up to about 270 and I'm in the 170s now. So I do weigh myself every day. And he's like, but doesn't that, so you're, you're just afraid? And I'm like, no, I don't care. The only reason why I weigh myself is to have a general sense of what it's actually, it's more for being too light. If I get my, my targets around 180, I like to stay around 180. I, I was 183 yesterday. I don't care. 
I have all the tools in the world and I know how to handle it. And I'm not on my way back to, you know, 280. So it's perfectly fine. I actually get more concerned when it's too low. So it was like 174 a couple of weeks ago. I know I was going really hard. I was working out more than I should have. And so what did I do? I cut back on my exercising because I realized like, you know what? Your body's expending more than it's getting in and, and you're wasting away and that's not healthy. And that's probably why you feel so exhausted. So I don't look at it as a like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Or I'm, I'm not a fat guy trying not to be fat. It's just another tool I have as, as part of the equation because I've defined myself differently. So I do see myself as an athlete. I do also see myself as a best-selling author. And that's not me trying to plug myself right now. Like That is a fact. And I need to allow for that because if I talk it down, I'm not respecting what I've achieved. And I, I want to do that. You know, I'm not making it up. I'm not being egotistical. I'm not giving myself credit for something I don't deserve. I did do that. And my book is having an impact. And I don't want to take away from the value of that. So I, I define myself in those ways. And, and yeah, you know, I joke about it not being cool, but I do have a great job at a great company and I'm really valued there and I seem to be having an impact. So I also define myself by my success in my career. Most importantly, I'm a father and a husband and I still have my wife around and my son is probably the happiest person I've ever met in my life and super appreciative. And that's not the narrative that he was going to have. So, you know, I, I give my wife a lot of credit for that, but I had a hand in that too. In that respect, I think it's critically important. I was in a meeting recently and I was starting and these guys are going in the room saying, you know, how, how, how do you rate your personal life out of 10 and how do you rate your business life? And everybody could talk ad nauseum about their business life. And I got this one guy, uh, Nick, really cool guy. And he said, my wife had a foot-long melanoma taken out uh, and they got the whole lot and now she's all clear and he said that's why I give myself a 10.5 because nothing could happen today that's going to spoil exactly how good I feel that my wife's okay and I don't know it's just a nice moment in amongst a whole lot of this meeting to go you know what where are your priorities so I think to identify yourself with all those things I think it's powerful, particularly when it's, you know, a lot of that was being of service to others or being grateful for others. It, it, it is amazing. Uh, we get framed in, the, in one, you know, one track and we don't necessarily give credit to all the other things that actually in the grand scheme of things, that's all that really lasts and that's all that really matters. Yeah, I, I, mate, I've really enjoyed this. I, I like the way you frame things. I like the honesty, the authenticity that you, you project in your writing, your books, your videos, the, the podcasts you do. And um, it's been a real treat speaking with you today, mate. I, uh, I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts, where you've come from, where you are, and I think it's exciting where you're going. So um, I know you do have a lot going on, but you gave us uh, a, a lot of your time today. So um, thanks, mate. It was terrific. Well, I really enjoyed it and I'd be happy to give you time anytime. So thank you. And I hope whoever recommended me to your show is listening and, and saw that it happened. Oh, I'm sure we'll be dropping them a line, yeah. When you have your new book out and you would like to be sharing it with the world, uh, we'll put a hand up and be first in line. It's about relationship dysfunction, so other two of you would benefit from that tremendously. Oh, right? to, to <laughs> tell you what, <laughs> studio etiquette goes out the window when Bert whistles in the house, let me tell you. Unless we've got a six-pack of Dos Equis, in which case it's all good. And then, it, then it's all in. <laughs> <laughs> then us just pump up the volume. And I'll bring Hillary Rodden Clinton with That'd me. That'd be brilliant. I've got a few questions for her too. 
The Mojo Radio Show. So from Esk to Sydney to San Diego, that's got to be one of the most diverse interviews we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) He's a really cool guy though. Um, And it's funny, folks, we were sitting in the yard and by the time we drew to the end of the interview, uh, it was starting to get pretty warm in my ute. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but we kept talking to him because he was such a cool guy and I think we have built quite a good association between Brian and the Mojo Radio Show and our listeners and I think uh, we'll, we'll, we will talk to him later in the year when his next book comes out. But really cool guy and uh, I think from do a day – to do a date. How's that for a Sedgeway? Do a date. That's it. Now, you, you've got to, you know, if you've got to get all those bodily gases under control if you were heating up the car to, <laughs> for that interview, because we've got our dinner coming up. Yes, we do. And if you were new to the show, Darren Altglass was a guest on the show maybe four or five weeks ago, and he is a brand expert who has a new book out called This Way Please. We had a really good chat. And at the back end of the show, he said he'd like to catch up with us and then extended an invitation for some listeners to come. And we ran a little contest. We have got four guests coming with us, uh, one of whom is uh, has been on the actual radio show, a guy who wrote to us who has been a massive contributor, which I won't give away, uh, and he said, can I come? So I got it cleared with Darren. He went, yeah, good. It's all good. So we are... Meeting at WeWork in Sydney, we will record some bits with our guests. They're bringing some questions along for Darren, and then we are seeking out a Doseki and some dinner. So uh, it's like a, let's call it a Mojo Radio Show meetup. It is. In fact, I've already met another one of our guests, Jason Spall. You've met? Yeah. Yeah. I've met him. He he hooked up with me on LinkedIn. Just really? because he's coming, yeah. And he, he sent me a really great message. He goes, I love the Mojo Radio Show. Haven't missed an episode. Looking forward to meeting you in Sydney. How's that? Huh. He's on the ball. Bugger me. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting, the podcast community is interesting. And it's funny how people, what's to say, people hook up and build associations through this medium because- as an example, Ryan Munsey, who was one of our favourite guests, who was absolutely brilliant only a couple of weeks ago on the show. Is he coming to dinner? No, but he's introduced <laughs> us to Tony Jeffries. Now, you won't know Tony Jeffries, but he is an Olympic medalist in boxing. Yeah, nice. And he runs the number one gym in California. It's a number two gym in America. And he's coming to Australia in July to do a – because he runs a company called Box and Burn and he runs the Box and Burn Academy where he teaches people how to box in order to run their own classes as fitness instructors. And he's coming to Australia. And Ryan introduced us to Tony and Tony's coming on the show in a couple of weeks' time. So there's this wonderful network where people are introducing each other. So we introduced Brian to Ryan, Ryan introduced us to Tony Jeffries, you hear from Jason. And it's it's just, I find it fascinating. It's not something I think every form of media has, but podcast has this real community or tribe about it, doesn't it? It does. And it's something that, it, what occurs to me listening to you say that is it's something that radio tried to do for a long time, but never really achieved. And podcasting in a few short years is just all over it, isn't it? Well, look at last week's show with Logan, Logan Gelbrick, which was a cracking show. If you're new to the show and you haven't heard Logan from Deuce Gym Talk, brilliant. Do yourself a favour, put the indicator on, turn right. <laughs> Logan was introduced to us once again by Ryan. And then last week I introduced Ryan to somebody who was interested in being associated in a sponsorship sense to his show, which he was very grateful for. So it's this real nice, 
And there's nothing in it for anybody. No one gets anything out of it except doing ideally a great job for the listeners. Really, out of all the stuff we've talked about, the only people who are benefiting is the people who are sharing information or and or learning, which is us and our listeners. So it's um it's way cool. It's very cool. So we'll be having our little meetup in Sydney. We will have some grabs from that over the next couple of weeks on the show. And interestingly, I also got a call from somebody who is a fan of the show saying, hey, can we do a meetup in Bris Vegas, up in Brisbane? So yeah. this could be a thing. Could uh, be a thing. And I said, look, it's hard enough being in the studio with Robbo, let alone travelling with him. So that's a stretch. Trachydax and Qantas don't mix. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I won't be able to get you in the Qantas club. That is for show. Anyway, so um, it could be something. I think we'll do more of these things. We find cool guests like a Tony Jeffries coming out. He's a Brit, an Olympic medalist in boxing. He was a nine time. He was undefeated in nine fights before he had to retire because of injury. Wow. Who knows? We could do some little fun meetups with guys like that. So um, I think it's a thing. Hey, do you reckon with my Tuesday morning boxing class, maybe he and I could jump in the ring and have a bit of a sparring session? Well, I'm what's what, the reason that I'm so interested in talking to Tony and how this came about? He said he needed some he needed some equipment. Right. And he said, I need something about six, he wanted a big bag, like six two. <laughs> uh, he wanted something soft, but would bounce back once he punched it. Right. Yeah. He wanted something that would be something which wouldn't hurt his hands. He wanted a bit soft, a bit flimsy and stuff. And he said, is there any chance you won't know where I could get a bag? And I said, this one, the studio <laughs> this one called Robbo. I'll see what Robbo's up to when I get him to come down. You can beat the heck out of him. So, uh, Gee, didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> I got to work on my material. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. All right, here's my, here's my lead to take us out this week. It's a pop quiz hot shot. So based on what Brian said, you could do a day. You could. You could pick whatever and you could do a day. And who knows what would happen. But you've got to be open to the idea that something great could happen. So here's the pop quiz hot shot. Who said this? Miracles happen every day. Change your perception of what a miracle is. And you'll see them all around you. Oh, I don't know. There's got to be someone like Stevie Nicks or someone like that, it sounds like. Yeah, not bad. Mm. Close. John Bon Jovi. Ah, there you go. The old Bonners. Big fan of the show. <laughs> Him and Richie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tico. Antic- oh, big fan of the show. But my take on that is I like what Brian said. It's just do a day. You know, people want to change anything in their life and they think about the long haul, going to change it forever. But you could do a day. And I think if you do a day, you'll surprise yourself. And I think if you look out for the miracles that John said, who knows what could happen. And if you do a day, you could have a good day. We're out.
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.